1: I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Before I start today, I have an invitation for everyone listening out there, no matter where in the world you are, assuming you're listening in August or September 2021. I'm a member of the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir which I've mentioned before on the show a few times now. For me, singing is a primary healing practice in grief. During the pandemic, our choir had to switch to virtual virtual rehearsals and singing alone into a video phone. But when the projects were finished, they gave me that same sense of hope and joy. The choir started a new project during the pandemic called the World Choir Project. Our director, Terrence Kelly, wrote a song I won't stop singing my praise to encourage us to keep singing in these hard times people from all over the world recorded themselves singing and it was amazing. The choir is now putting together a second project in the same series our arrangement of joy to the world and any of you can participate in it. The finished project will be shared at our yearly concert, the first Saturday in December, which we are hoping and praying will be in person in the Bay Area, California. Terrence will be running a few teaching sessions where you can learn the arrangement, if that helps you feel more secure about the recording. There's no charge to participate in the recording or the teaching sessions. And believe me, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal teacher. I've been in the choir about 15 years now and learned so much to find out more. You can go to www.oigc.org. And I want to share just a short quote from Terrence about his thinking on this project. Here we go. We're singing for joy. There are so many reasons not to be joyous during a pandemic, but this is what African American gospel is teaching us what you're going through you sing it out you sing out your anger sing out your angst and pain you sing until it turns into joy. That's my Terrence. (laughs) So that's it for that today and we'll get on with the show. Today, I'm welcoming Sabine Gideon. After years of struggle and hurt, Sabine was prepared to take the pills she had in hand. But before she did, she expended her pain and rage at God and told him that, in fact, if he was real and didn't want her to move forward with her plans, she needed him to prove it to her. In the next moment, she says, quote, God himself showed up in my bedroom, wrapped his arms around me thus began her story of transformation which she likens to that of a caterpillar emerging from a chrysalis into a beautiful graceful butterfly in her new book transformed the journey to becoming sabine chronicles what took her to such depths and how she followed that divine intervention with a relentless pursuit of self-improvement and purposeful growth despite the deep pain from the struggle of transformation which nearly every guest on this show knows all about. Today, having transformed herself, Sabine is the founder and CEO of Gedeon Enterprises, providing coaching and consulting services to ambitious mission-driven leaders. With over 15 years of experience serving in as serving as an HR professional, coach and advisor to leaders in Fortune 100 companies and within her own practice, Sabine's helped hundreds of professionals break through barriers uncover or build their leadership capabilities and experience growth in their lives, careers, and businesses. She knows firsthand the amount of faith and courage it takes to break away from the norm and step into something new or bigger than yourself. Using her personal experience as a benchmark she hopes to help lead millions of others through their unique paths of purpose, impact, prosperity, and legacy. Welcome, Sabine.
2: Thank you so much, Cheryl, for having me. I swear, it, it no matter how many times I hear that uh, bio read, it's, just, it's <laughs> almost like an out-of-body experience, like, oh, wow. OK.
1: <laughs> Is that me? I've had that experience, too, when I'm on the other end of the mic, you know, uh, hearing, hearing a, a distilled version of what we do over months and years, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it can really have impact, can't it?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Especially that that last part over around, you know, the legacy that I desire to to leave and, and to help millions. It just always gets me. It, it's the reminder of my deep-rooted why.
1: Y- you know, it's interesting you say that because uh, I've been throughout the entire pandemic kind of um, it's not a new practice, but I've been a little more diligent to remind myself why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost, almost daily, certainly weekly. Why do I keep doing this? Right. (laughs) Because you have to keep that front and center. Don't you? You
2: absolutely do. The alternative is giving up. (laughs) And in my case, it's, it's, you know, for me, the pursuit of purpose, it's, it's, the years of all that I went through, only to never discover the the reason behind it. So yes, you absolutely have to keep that why forefront. It's the thing that pulls you. It's the thing that anchors you on the days that you do want to give up for sure.
1: So let's circle back to not the beginning of your journey, because our of course, the path we follow begins at birth, but um, that, that moment of extreme crisis that sent you towards your own healing and ultimately where you are today Um, because you described quite eloquently in your book being uh, completely bereft, completely without hope. Could you describe, you know, and I mentioned it in your bio a little, but I wonder if you can just fill us in a little more on what brought you to that moment and then what um confirmed your commitment to keep living and and healing. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So <laughs> before that 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 dark night, I had been in a space where, you know, based on things that had happened in my childhood and even adolescence, these these seeds, if you will, of negativity, these seeds of pain, these seeds of trauma had been going on about their business and growing with me. And I had a, I had several experiences kind of happen all at once. You know, they say when it rains, it pours. Um, So between situations at work and my personal relationships, it just got to a place where I felt like the world was against me. And not only did I feel like the world was against me externally, but literally internally, I had apparently turned against myself. And so for months, for a period of months, no less than six months, I had been in a state where from the moment that I woke up uh, to the moment that I went to bed, it was all of this negative chatter. It was negative reminders of all the things that I ever did wrong, all the negative words that had ever been spoken about me or to me directly. Um, It was the, you know, berating of you're ugly. No one loves you. No one wants you. And it was just like, literally, it was just constant. Um, I would find myself at work in between, you know, trying to focus on the actual work whenever there was a free moment. That's all that was in my head. It was just, I call it the negative inner critic. It Mm -hmm. was just all of this negativity constantly, constantly, constantly. Until I got to the point where I started to agree with it. Um, you know, it was no longer me trying to distract myself from listening to it. It became, yeah, you're right. You're right. Mm. These things did happen. That is true. Um, I'm not lovable. You're right. Like my mother did do this and my father did do this. And it was just, it got to the point where once I, I remember specifically looking in the mirror one day and realizing, or maybe this is part of the acceptance of the voices, but just got to this place where I looked at myself and I was just like, you don't love yourself. And if you don't love yourself, how can you love anyone else? Um, And how could anyone else love you? And that was like that pivotal moment where it's just like, okay, well (laughs) enough's enough. Um, I'm tired of being in this place of torture, really uh, mental and emotional torture and decided that it was it was time to just end it.
1: You know, it's uh, a few things stand out um, there, but one of them is um, whenever I have a client, I'm a therapist in the rest of my life, whenever I have a client who's saying, um, I don't want to live this way, you know, which a lot of therapists would would think of as a, a warning sign of suicide. Mm-hmm. I find that I always add any more <laughs> on the end of it like it's you have to get to that point where you say anything is better than continuing it this way yeah but I do find that's often a breakthrough and it feels to me like it was for you
2: oh yeah it was um uh- <laughs> Uh, a different kind of breakthrough that for me, it was, okay, I'm, I'm done. At the time, I, I was working in corporate America. I also uh, worked at a pharmacy and had access to um, very, very strong medications. And so the planner in me and uh, the strategic the strategic person in me really, and I i can only laugh at this now, but I, I put together a plan. Um, I think I gave myself about three weeks. I had the strategy when I was going to take the medications, everything that I was going to do, and probably, well, no, definitely the night before, but this was after about two and a half weeks after I made the decision that I was done. Uh, I cleaned up my apartment. I got all my paperwork ready. Um, I, you know, started to set things out for, you know, when they found me so that, you know, it would be easier for for my parents and whoever else to sift through things. I lived about an hour away from my family. But nonetheless, after I got done cleaning, after I got done putting all of my you know, paperwork on the table, I went into my bedroom and I just sat on the bed and I was like, OK, God, let's let's have this conversation um, and really just began to uh, pour out my heart, like all of the negativity, all the chatter, all of the pain, all of all of the stuff that I had been carrying and, and had been burdened with. I started to have a conversation with God now, granted, Prior to me getting to this place, you know, I I grew up in somewhat of a religious household. Like I knew God from a very superficial uh, standpoint. And and to be quite honest, there were parts of me that questioned uh, the reality just based on, you know, what I had seen or experienced during my life. So I started to have this conversation, not necessarily really asking or expecting to be saved if you will it was just more of like this is the plan i'm just letting you know (laughs) um
1: (laughs) don't be surprised when i turn up
2: (laughs) (laughs) right exactly um and so as i started to have this conversation it went from all of the things that had happened to me it went from all of the anger all of the all of that stuff to a point of you know what god like I would keep going. I would continue in this life and down this path. If I knew that there was a reason, if I knew that there was a purpose behind it, like to me, everything that I've experienced, like there is, there has been no purpose. It's just been a miserable life. And, you know, by my definition of a miserable life. And in that moment, I I, just, something shifted after I got all my anger out, got all my pain out. It just was just like, Hey, like throw me a bone, like give me a reason to stay and not only give me a reason to stay or well, more so give me a glimpse into my purpose, but let me know that you're real. (laughs) Like I'm having this conversation with you on my last day and I don't even fully believe that you are listening or that you are real. And so in that moment of complete desperation, um, having lost all hope, I got that glimmer of hope that I so desperately needed um, to say, not only do is there a purpose for my life, does my life have meaning and is it valuable, but also that God does exist, that he sees me, that he hears me. And the wrapping of his arms was just a confirmation of me being loved. And it was a contradiction to you know, everything that I had been telling myself and everything that I had experienced for uh, well over two decades.
1: You know, it's, it's uh, of course, people have all kinds of different belief systems, but that's so familiar to me, the sense of something greater than yourself holding you, those moments when you can feel that it's not just all the terrible things, that there's something much bigger beyond that those are such meaningful moments and it makes me think about um post traumatic growth the the idea of post-traumatic growth one of the five things that they've they've um studied that changes in people is their their spiritual understandings they deepen or they or they completely transform and to me that's what happened with you You, you just, you just dove deep into that at a moment. And the other thing that comes to my mind is I'm, I'm guessing people didn't know you were thinking about doing this. They probably didn't even know what you were going through. Oh Is that, is that right? No, you're
2: absolutely right. (laughs) And that actually fueled or that affirmed, if you will, the belief that no one will care. No one will, you know, if I'm going through this and all these people around me don't see it or don't know it, then like, yeah, I, no one's going to care if I'm here or not.
1: Well, and the other thing that just comes to my mind is you showed a tremendous amount of capability in the midst of incredible distress. I'm, I'm guessing people were ignoring everything that didn't that wasn't about your capability (laughs) right? (laughs) but you told you told i I, that just seems that stands out to me that that you sat down and you said let me tell you it all Uh, other humans might not have been safe enough but god was yes
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a really great point. Um, And that's that's even to this day. And as I was releasing this book, one of the things that kept popping into my mind uh, was the fact that, you know, so many I I showed up, I still kept showing up in, in to your point, this extreme distress. And even as I've transformed and become this other person, there are still people who are literally around me every single day that did not know what I was facing until this book came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it I think back to, you know, there was this belief that I had, well, few beliefs, um, you know, rooted in pride. Right. And, and also rooted in the belief that no one's going to help me. Um, no one understands me. No one really sees the real me. No one loves me. And so because of those beliefs is, is really why I didn't reach out to anyone. Um, and that pride of like, hey, I'm this person. This is how I show up. This is the identity that I've put out there. I can't show up as weak or I can't reveal to anyone that I am weak or that I'm hurting.
1: And the other thing that comes to my mind, Sabine, is just when you've, you've had so many experiences of harm with people the closest to you, like you have, which you go into great depth uh, into in your book, how do you choose someone to trust? Right. How, how do you even know what someone to trust looks like? Um, to me, that, that's a hard thing to do when you've had so much trauma. Absolutely.
2: I mean, to this day, I'm still working on, uh, you know, building relationships with people from a place of trust or building my ability to, to trust others.
1: That's, that's interesting. We only have a couple more minutes, but let's, let's make a start at that. How do you evaluate that now? Because you've done, we're skipping ahead a little, but it's, you know, it's not linear. Uh, <laughs> how, how do you evaluate people? Because I know at one point in your book, um, you were in a really strong church community, but they wanted you to kind of fit their paradigm instead of trusting your own. Mm -hmm. And it felt to me like you had to leave them for that reason, because, you know, how could you really grow in the ways you needed to uh, if people were telling you, don't go this way, go this way, do this for us? And so, having said no to that kind of relationship, how do you go about choosing people that are likely to support you more fully and love you for who and what you are?
2: Yeah, that's a really great question. And and um, just to uncover another layer of that, you know, when I joined that church, like it was literally maybe a few months after my suicide attempt and you know I had started down my path of uh, transformation or my, t- my path of healing and growth through my relationship with God. And so even going to that church, like I was going to that church for years and always was you know like the bruised animal in the back and in the corner and it took me a very long time to uh, build trust um, with the women specifically in the in the church and the pastor or his wife was a pastor as well. And so to receive them and to receive her as people who genuinely cared about me, who genuinely wanted to see me grow and wanted to see me develop, that took years. And so when we got to the place of, you know, my transition uh, back in 2016, and they turned on me. Well, that's how I felt that it was. They turned on me where, when I felt God was calling me down another path. That was another, you know, period of trauma all over again. Um, so even from there, I've had to, okay, <laughs> rebuild and, re, you know, understand that people are people. I think the dependency that I used to have on individuals, right? You know, I'm, I'm trying to fill uh, the old me was trying to fill a void, um, the void from, you know, lack of love from a mother and lack of love from family members. And so I used to use people, um, as, as void fillers and which is what led to bigger disappointments when they did disappoint or when they couldn't live up to whatever expectations I had in my head. And I think after, this last transition with, with the church, it made me realize that I, I can't fill these voids with people. Mm. Um, I, this, these are things that internally I need to deal with so that when people come along, they just add um, or enrich my life and not
1: complete me. It, it's so important what you're saying, and I want to come back to it after the break, but let's let's take a few minutes for the, for the break now. Okay. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. You can sign up for my email list there, too, and there's a link to my novel and how to buy it. And to find Sabine, go to com. Back soon.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today, with one thing that has been consistent Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to good grief.
1: Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. And I've been talking with Sabine Gideon, author of Transformed The Journey to Becoming. And Sabine, when I was reading that part of the book that we were just talking about before the break, um, it occurred to me that that environment must have been so comforting when you were first there because, for instance, when um, when I was in the midst of a, a very extreme transformation in my life, I needed people to say, do this, try this, go this way. You know, I kind of needed parents almost. But then at a certain point, you have to just trust yourself. And then it becomes a little unworkable yes yeah. to have people defining your direction for you
2: absolutely and the funny thing is you know i start the journey i mean the journey started well before uh, that night but the journey with the, my walk with god and, and understanding who i am through him you know they were they played such a huge part in in me developing that relationship but what it came down to was Here was this moment of, you know, me spending all these years trying to, you know, build this relationship with God, trying to get to the place where, you know, I was um, I could hear or I could be guided and I could be led. And because they had been the voice, if you will, of God for me for so long, I was in this place of um, at a crossroads of wait a minute. I I know what I'm hearing. God tell me, like, I I know what I feel in my spirit, um, is the path that I'm being, you know, that I'm being led to, but here these people who had, you know, played that role were saying, no, no, you stay here. You stay here. This is not God, yada, yada, yada. So it was definitely a test, if you will, um, on so many different levels, but it was also a, uh, Confirming for me that I had gotten to this place where you know I was so in tuned with who I was, with who God's who God is, and how He leads me, that I could make the decision to break away from the herd um, and no longer need them to be the ones telling me, or no longer being the being the ones that like stood in God's stead for me. I hope that makes sense.
1: Complete sense, and it also kind of circles back to what we were talking about at the beginning that you were your own enemy in your own head mm-hmm. and it made it hard to listen to your inner knowing and your relationship with with your higher power um, it's really hard when you're beating yourself up to to make that connection but by the time this happened you had that connection it sounds like mm-hmm. as painful as it was to have to say, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. Uh, and I'm sure there was lots of grief in leaving a community that had been so, and in losing faith in a community that had been so important. Still, it sounds as if by that point, you developed a pretty strong trust in your own instincts.
2: Yes. Yeah. It's funny. I, I used to, when I would tell people that situation, like it was, it was, trauma from an adult standpoint all over again but what it felt like was a physical separation and and when i say physical separation like imagine like you know someone pulling your skin off of you. Um, that's how excruciating pain, excruciatingly painful it felt um, to be what felt like being torn away from that group, torn away from uh, that place of familiarity, um community, you know, the thing that I had desired for so long growing up, I had finally gotten it, and I felt like, Um, one, yes, their actions were their actions, but I also felt like, God, how could you do this to me? I finally found a home. I finally found, you know, the thing that, again the void or filled what I believed, uh, was the voids that I had. And so it was, it was definitely a grieving process that I went through. And quite honestly, that grieving process lasted for several years. Uh, that was not an easy, okay, I'm not there anymore and I'm over it. It took, it took years to get over that.
1: Well, and as, as I know, you know, and keep reiterating on this show, your losses are always your losses. Uh, I'll bet there are moments you can make contact with that loss again mm-hmm. um, because that to have a whole community uh, that you have to break away from i've I've been in that situation. It's very painful. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my own circumstance, at moments where I'm making contact with that, it hurt it still hurts right? Yes. <laughs> it's never going to be a happy thing that I had to do that. But I understand those moments where your direction is not the direction of the community.
2: Yeah. It's
1: so now you, you also changed geography at the same time and jobs. And I mean, everything in your life kind of changed at that moment, didn't it?
2: It did. It's It's one of those moments where you're like, oh, all these amazing things are happening. But at the same time, it's coming with a lot of disruption and a lot of pain. So, you know, I'd been living in Connecticut for 30 plus years, uh, got six weeks notice that I was moving down to Houston, no family, no community, nothing down there. Um, So I had to start all over again. It was a very... (laughs) It was a very uh, trying period for sure. But one of the things that, you know, now when I can look back, you know, part of part of our growth um, and part of our transformation, and, and I, I, I mention this quite often in the book around the, the caterpillar turning into the butterfly, right? The caterpillar is in this space where they're with community and then they have to go off into, you know, what is their cocoon. So it's that period or that's that season of isolation that you have to go through or that most of us go through before we come out on growth on the other side. And so for me, that the the things that were catalysts like the job uh, that resulted in the move and resulted in everything else were the catalyst. But it was literally the beginning of my transformation to, you know, a new version of myself.
1: You know, obviously, um, the, the transformation of butterflies is a very common um, kind of metaphor mm-hmm. for change, um, very familiar to me. But reading your book, may be the most deeply I've considered, what does it feel like when the caterpillar melts Mm. You know, the part we tend to focus on is the part where the wings come out, yep. <laughs> right? But actually, in order to get there, that being has to completely become ooze. Yeah. Uh, and it it struck me in a different way in the way that you described it. Oh, yeah, that's that's a painful process. I've got i I've got to think. I don't know if they have nerve endings, but. <laughs> But we do. And right. it does feel a bit like that, doesn't it? It does. I, I, um, I
2: have a newfound respect for uh, butterflies now and caterpillars, of course, because it is. Um, I think the, the piece that to your point that I honed in more is the complete uh, destroying of your identity And that's exactly what, you know, what I experienced during that time and have experienced since then. But it's the idea that whenever we're transforming into something new, whenever we're shifting into something new, the new is great but there are old parts of us that have to die away. There are parts of us that we can't take with us into that next level. Um, And then there are new parts of us that have to grow. So the death has to happen to make room for the new. And so, you know, we experience that whenever there's a change, good or bad. And Mm -hmm. so in my case, it was, you know, a move where an identity of who I believed I was through the eyes or the lens of, you know, my my peers or network. In the in this community even at work um, when I left my when I gave notice to my job at the time you know they tried to they try to keep me with basically the same job and a different title and when I declined that like they all started to turn against me. Like It was just like the, it was the same thing. Like, oh, okay, you don't want to fit into this box. You don't want to fit into this community anymore. So like the natural reaction was, okay, we're, we're cutting you off. Um, one of the things I, I just want to share too, I, I got the revelation pro- several years later that part of the reason why the process was so painful and why it felt like such a, abrupt cut, if you will, was because if there were let me put it this way. It was like the bridge had to be broken or, you know, I had to burn bridges. It usually I'm, I'm one who tends not to burn bridges, but in both of these cases, these bridges had to be burned. Why? Because I couldn't go back that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was created so that there would never be a pathway when I got scared or when I got, you know, unmotivated or whatever, as I was moving forward, that I wouldn't uh, there wouldn't be a way for me to go back to that old life.
1: Uh, one th- another thing that I thought reading was that um, people kind of, I mean, all of us want what we want, right? We want people to do what we want, let's admit it. But <laughs> you can't trust a person who, who lands there in any permanent way where what they want you to do is more important than what's right for you. And it, it seems to me like that was a deciding point for you. Um, and once people identify themselves as in the category of those who don't support what's best for you, but only what's best for them, where is there to go back to? Right. Uh, th- I, I can't return to those kinds of relationships. They don't work for me anymore, you know? Yeah whether or not they had cut you off would it would it have worked for you to continue
2: right it also it in many ways even before like the actual transformation right it it revealed my growth it revealed the fact that you know no longer was i so desperate to belong or to fit in that i would you know abandon what i knew was the right or the next path for me to have people you know love me or support me or whatever the case may be so um i think there was even power in that revelation that wow i'm no longer i'm no longer that girl
1: right (laughs) absolutely and what kind of love is it if you have to be someone else to to get it I i don't think that actually ends up feeling like love what do you think
2: no, you're, you're completely right. It's not love. Um, it's manipulation. Um, <laughs> when you just boil down to it, that's exactly what it is. It's manipulation.
1: So now you're in a new place. I mean, there's a big difference between Connecticut and, and Texas, <laughs> we could all say, <laughs> yes, sure. um, and a new job and no carryover of community what were the first things that you did in that new place to start to build your life going forward did you just sort of hunker down and go to work every day and then eventually had the energy to contemplate building your life with it you know human to human there or did you find some people right away or what was that actually like
2: yeah great question so <laughs> it was it was a combination of both things so from a work perspective um i was the it was a, a site a very small site that i was literally physically at but i supported people um across the country so when it came to work there really wasn't uh community there or people that I could hang out with. Like there was a, a it was a warehouse. And so there are a few like general managers, but mostly, you know, uh I was there as the HR person. So it, it, that's not where I was making friends. Um, I found myself, you know, searching for the familiar, which was a church similar to mine. And there was, there was a period of time where I was attending this church and, you know, the old me wanted to come up. So when I was at the the church in Connecticut, I used to be on the dance ministry. So um, liturgical dance mm-hmm. um, and several other groups. And so everything in me wanted to do the same thing. They didn't have a dance ministry. So I wanted to start the dance ministry. And it was just like all of me, or it was just more of me trying to get back to or relive the old identity. And it got and, to a point-
1: And taking on way too much, which you had before, we didn't mention that, but you yeah. know, kind of um, piling it on top of yourself instead of um, taking care of yourself. Yes. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. And it got to a point where I just asked, like, I got to the point where I was so frustrated. I was like, God, why is this not working? Why is this not working here? And he was just like, I didn't, I didn't tell you to do any of this stuff. I didn't, I, this was not instructed. This is you <laughs> trying to live out the old you. And then I realized that part of the reason, even though it, it did feel isolating, I'm not even going to lie. I, I felt extremely isolated, um, you know, and, and, left to lick my wounds on my own um but at the same time it was it was my place of healing mm-hmm. it was the the ministry that i had joined like i wasn't meant to be like front and center and doing all the things i was just there I should have just been there to be um, and to heal and to, you know, just have a moment away from the trauma that I had experienced. Uh, And it (laughs) took me probably four or five months to get to that revelation (laughs) before I just allowed myself to
1: just to just heal. You know, Sabine, it's time for another break, but this, this um, issue of differentiating between our true guidance, whatever we call that, our true guidance and our human desire to be liked and, you know, all of that, I think that's too important to end there. So let's come back to it after the break. Awesome. You can go to weatherandgrief.com to find me or the Good Grief Host page, of course. And to find Sabine, go to sabinegedian.com Back after the break.
0: Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today.
1: This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Sabine Gedeon, author of Transformed. And Sabine, before the break, we were um, on the edge of really talking about how we differentiate between our, I guess, I, for want of a better word, I could say ego, you know, our, <laughs> our kind of human self, like trying to be liked, trying to um, get in with people, whatever it is, and our inner direction our our our, um inner wisdom and and direction in terms of what's right for us next and i wondered if if you have any thoughts about how you in particular because it does seem as if you've you've learned to differentiate those two things Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you said, God said, I didn't tell you to do that, you know, <laughs> uh, that was a pretty clear, um, you, you got that those things taking on too much again and, and putting yourself at the center of so so much hard work and all of that, y- you, you kind of knew that wasn't your inner voice, your, your inner wisdom, but how do you tell the difference for yourself?
2: You know what? Quite honestly, that's a lesson that I'm still learning. Uh, especially, you know, last year. I'll use last year as an example. Uh, very stressful environment for everyone. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of things like normal, and you know, convinced that I was not going to let this uh, this pandemic get to me. I was not going to feed into the fear that I was going to, you know, continue to move. Full force ahead, and not realizing that, you know, this, (laughs) I wasn't in a bubble. um, (laughs) Things were happening, huh? (laughs) Things were happening. And, you know, I was working with people who were, you know, filled with anxiety, like riddled with fear. And here I am taking on their emotions, taking on all their stuff. And I'm plowing through, like, if I don't watch the news or if I don't get involved in that stuff, then I'll be OK. And, you know, for to an extent, I, I do think that that mindset Or defense mechanism, whatever you want to call it, served me. Um, But then it got to a point where I could no longer carry that burden. Um, Mm -hmm. So not only the burden of the stuff, but the burden of everyone's emotions, um, and even the lack of me recognizing that I lost too in the pandemic. Right, I I had to give up some stuff too. I just moved to LA. Um, at the end of uh, December, 2019. And so here I moved to this new city thinking that, oh, okay, this is a new start, something different is gonna happen. And I was isolated to my apartment with my dog for oh. what's now a year and a half. And so not allowing myself to to be, right? And to recognize or even to give myself permission to feel. And I to be, if I'm completely honest, I haven't been fearful during the pandemic, not, you know, not in in ways that other people have, like, obviously, I don't want to get sick. And I've been, um, I've been trying to be as safe as possible. But at the same time, I haven't had a life for a year and a half. Um, I'm in a new city (laughs) where I know that's your
1: that's your loss.
2: Yeah, right, right. And so yeah. it took a while for me to get to the place where I had to admit, like, Sabine, you are in a pandemic, too. Like, you deserve to process the emotions um, from the pandemic. So I say all that to say I'm still learning that lesson.
1: <laughs> it, but it you, but it, yes, but it sounds as if you do get there. Like, in the end, you do get there. Uh, that's a really interesting thing you're saying, because... Uh, well, I noticed at the beginning of the pandemic, I have, I have sort of a window on the world, you know, being a therapist and listening to lots of people every day. And a lot of people were disqualifying their grief in just the way that you're talking about, mm-hmm. because nobody died or because their neighbor brought the groceries or, you know, whatever it is that seemed to be a blessing yeah. to them personally then they disqualified the part where uh from one day to the next their life ended right yeah. <laughs> and I, i'm kind of both and i think you can do both at once have the feelings and uh you know and keep going yeah both are possible but i don't think that's our training by and large not at all and i think my
2: my mindset at the time was hey We've been through, and I've I literally said this multiple times, but like, we've been through tough times before. Like, you know, I gave the example of during 9-11, that was oh scary. We had never gone through that. During the crash in 2008, 2009, a lot of us, for me specifically, that was scary. We had never been through that. And so I think sometimes we can oversimplify, right? Like it's the mind's way of trying to find a pattern. And so Mm -hmm. for me, the way that I was able to push through was I've been through (laughs) traumatic situations before. And if I could live through those, like I'll get through this. I don't have all the answers, but I also know I'm not in control. But at the same time, while, while that mindset is is good and it's supportive, there comes a point where it's just, okay, be human. <laughs> Allow yourself the right. grace to, to be human.
1: It, it doesn't contradict that it, from my point of view. Um, right. One doesn't contradict the other. You're obviously an extremely capable person and that's how you coped with trauma throughout your life. And that doesn't mean you don't have feelings. right? <laughs> right? there, For myself, those are both true (laughs) at the same time. And I, I think, you know, speaking about transformation, obviously, there are lots of things that are that are coming out of this terrible, terrible time, you know, in terms of racial justice, in terms of pandemic, in terms of we could go on and on, right, of all the things that have been happening. But we're probably, those of us that are inclined to, going to try to make something out of it. Absolutely. And and so do you feel, so you said in the book that um, it's there's never an end point, which I appreciated, right? If you wrote the book again two years from now, there would be a different transformative process. Right. Uh, And I I really do agree with that. I I feel that's so central to life, is um, responding to what happens and growing from it. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes we're in the soup for quite a long time first, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So... uh, Yeah. So where do you feel you are? I know you have this wonderful new business where you're helping people, and that seems very purposeful and meaningful to you. And I'm sure there have been impediments to that in this time. But are you starting to feel like you've got your feet under you again and and kind of um, you get to grieve and you get to do your work and feel the, the power of it? Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, and so I would say in this, in this stage of my life, a, a couple things are happening. One, finally, uh, I have let go of the notion or the mindset that purpose or finding purpose or identifying purpose is like the static event. Um, you know, the thing that drove me from the night of my, um, uh, of my conversation with God up until about a year, a year and a half ago was this search, this quest for purpose. And so everything I did, okay, this is my purpose. And so I gave it, you know, 150%. Like I needed I needed a reason still, years later, I needed a reason to live. I needed a reason to justify my being. And I think what the, the pandemic really allowed me to do and see in addition to, you know, grieving and, and just resting is, Accepting that every day that I show up, every day that I, you know, I support others, every day that I am myself, that that is operating in purpose. Um, That it's not this uh, finish line that I'm trying to head towards anymore, that like my being is whole, uh, my being is complete. And, you know, as long as I continue to serve, others in the capacity that I'm able to, I am operating in purpose. So, you know, as I've relaunched my business, that's really my mindset now. Before when I launched a business a few years back, it was about, you know, getting to six figures and being this and being that, you know, all the things, all of the things feeling where, where you're striving um, from that, really that seed of not enoughness, uh, yes. as I like to call it. Um, and now it's just, you know what? I am whole. I am complete. I have these gifts and I have these talents. And my purpose is to serve others. My purpose is to share them with other people, not to the point of depletion, of course, um, but to share it with other people. And in that, you know, I'm giving people permission to live out their purpose. So I'm, I'm in that space of... Uh, <laughs> It's not easy. Let me, let me clarify. It is Uh not easy. I
1: I know from personal experience. Yes. (laughs)
2: It's it's not easy, but when you have those moments of really just being and really just accepting you for who you are, flaws and all, and, you know, great things about you, not so great things, there's such freedom and there's such peace that comes with that. Um, I believe I show up the best for my clients when I'm in that space.
1: What you brought to mind was, I believe it was actually o- Oprah Winfrey, maybe talking with Maya Angelou, or it was it was people in that world, right? <laughs> uh, and they were, um, I think that they were talking about purpose. And one, and I think it was Maya Angelou that said, "You can't know what your purpose was until your life is over, mm. and it won't be defined by you." it'll be defined by the people who were impacted by you. Mm. I thought that was a very interesting way to look at it. I love that. That there's there's what we're called to do. For instance, I felt called to do this show and it's been incredible for in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't define my purpose, right? right. <laughs> my purpose is something more or less other than and uh you know you've done a lot of different things but i'm imagining you were showing your purpose whatever it is in all of those uh in all of those situations exactly yes so as a final word uh of course we want to say that people can go to SabineGedion.com, g e d e o n.com to look at all the work you do, and maybe there are some people out there who are right in line with what it is you offer too, um, including your book, but also your business. Um, but I wonder if we can kind of wrap up with um, what keeps you encouraged, right? Your story—the story in your book starts with complete discouragement. Mm-hmm and I don't believe you returned to that. So what is it that keeps you encouraged now?
2: Yeah. Um, One, I know my life has purpose and my life has meaning. Uh, There's evidence uh, that, you know, I've been able to help people and people are naturally, naturally may not always show it, kind and generous Mm. and giving, Um, you know, I guess the biggest takeaway for me throughout this entire process is that no matter how bad things get or things look or they may seem, that it's really just a chapter. Um, I know sometimes it's so hard.
1: I'm going to have to stop you there, but that's exactly the right place to stop. So I want to thank you for being with me today, Sabine.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for having me.
1: Absolutely. Next week, I'll have Marissa Nathan-Gerson, author of Forget Prayers, Bring Cake, a memoir about her experience as a single woman mourning her father. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Mm-hmm.